Noogie. Well, what's up, man? What you want, some jewelry? How about a bank bounce? I know y'all want something, man. Hey, cut the crap, man. <laughs> Stop jiving us with all of this bank bounce and other kind. What's the action, pal? We know you're connected with about 90% oh, of everything nasty, that moves nasty, in this town. Nasty, you got nasty. a line on it. See, I told you, fellas, the Nook man's on vacation, man. A businessman like me got to get some kind of relaxation sometimes, man. You're going to need help, pal. You turn us away with zero. One good turn deserves another. You get my drift? Come on, man, you wouldn't do that to the nug, man. I told you, what's wrong, you don't believe me, man? I told you if I had some info, I would lay it on you. See, now you're dissing me. <laughs> My man, I see you know how to deal with the nug, man. You understand what I'm saying? That 50 man, I know this dude named Trick Baby that hang downtown, man. You know what I'm saying? He gave me some info last week that may be helpful to you. Fast cars, flashy clothes, big money, heavy players, and the hot Miami scene. These were the main ingredients that made Miami Vice one of the most innovative shows of the 1980s. Journey with Tim and Mark as we take a peek into the drama series with an MTV feel on the Vice of Miami podcast. Vice fans, and welcome back to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 11. We hope you enjoyed the last episode of Vice of Miami covering episode 9, The Glades. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode covering season 1, episode 10 of Miami Vice. Give a little, take a little. And Mark, this uh, episode was written by Chuck Adamson, directed by Bob Roth, and the original air date was... Pearl Harbor's Day, December 7th, 1984. Okay, covering the plot summary for this episode. In court, Crockett refuses to identify an informant and spends more time in jail than a drug dealer they are trying to bust. Gina and Trudy infiltrate a prostitution ring, and in doing so, Gina is placed in a compromising position when they are suspicious that she's not a hooker. And finally, the Nug Man returns again. That music brings us to the guest stars and the co-stars of this episode. Tim, why don't you go? All right. First off is Burt Young as Lupo Ramirez, born Jerry DeLuise on April 30th, 1940. Burt is an American actor. After serving in the Marines during the late 1950s, he received his acting training under Lee Strasberg in the actor studio. He made his film debut in 1970s Carnival of Blood, followed by appearances in The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, The Gambler, Chinatown, and Hearing Walter Go to New York. He made his TV debut in movie The Connection, following by, followed by appearances on MASH and The Rockford Files. In 1976, he received the role he would be most famous for as Paul, a friend and eventual brother-in-law of Rocky Balboa, in the Rocky movies in which he received an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He then appeared in the movies The Choir Boys, Convoy, 
the Pope of Greenwich Village back to school, Betsy's wedding blood red among some titles. His most recent TV appearance was in Kevin Can Wait, and his most recent movie appearance was in 2018's Smothered by Mothers. Young was married to Gloria until her death in 1974 and has not remarried. He has a daughter, Anne Morea, and currently owns a restaurant in the Bronx, New York. Next up, we have Tony Plana as Cinco. Born April 19, 1952, Tony is a Cuban actor and director. Plano was born in Havana, Cuba. The family fled Cuba for Miami in 1960, then to California after his father found employment there. Plano received his acting training at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, then began his stage career in L.A., where he originated the role of Rudy in the play Zoot Suit when it was made into a movie in 1981. He also reprised his role with Edward James almost in that. He got his television start in the comedy What's Happening, then in the TV movie Streets of L.A. Tony made his movie debut in Seed of Innocence, followed by a role as Ensign Della Serra in An Officer and a Gentleman, then Love and Money. Plana married actress Ada Maris, who appeared in an episode of Don Johnson's show Nash Bridges in 1988. They have two children, Alejandro and Isabel, and he also has two brothers, Victor and Oscar. Next, we have Lenny Von Dolan as Bob Rickert. Lenny Von Dolan, born December 22, 1958, is an American actor. Von Dolan was born in Augusta, Georgia. He made his screen debut in the 1981 TV movie Kent State. His film debut was in Tender Mercies, then starred in the movie Electric Dreams. After his Vice appearance, Von Dolan became a prolific guest star on multiple TV shows, including Tales from the Dark Side, The Equalizer, 30-something, The Young Riders, among some titles. Von Dolan's most recent TV appearance was in a 2017 episode of Orville. Von Dolan was married to Russian model Marina Druko from 2007 until their divorce in 2008. They had no children, but Von Dolan has a daughter, Hazel, from a previous relationship. Next up, we have Jacqueline Brooks as Judge Cohen. Born July 24, 1930, Jacqueline was an American stage, movie, and television actress. Brooks was born in Montclair, New Jersey. She began her stage career in 1943 in the opera La Boheme, then appeared off-Broadway starting in 1954 and continued to appear on the stage and off from 1954 to 1988. She made her television debut in 1956's Look Up and Live. She appeared on several soap operas in the 60s and 70s, including Love of Life, As the World Turns, Another World, and The Secret Storm. She made her movie debut in 1971's The Hospital. She also taught acting at the Circle and the Square Theater in New York City from 1974 until her 2013 death. Brooks died from lymphoma in New York, New York on April 26, 2013 at the age of 82. She was never married. We also have Annie O'Neill as Mrs. Rickard. The only info we found was her first acting appearance was in the series Charlie's Angels in 1977, along with numerous other TV guest appearances and in TV movies, including Baja, Oklahoma. Her only movie role was in Heartbreakers. Next up is Michael Madsen as Sally Alvarado. Born September 25th, 1957, he's an American actor and poet. Madsen was born in Chicago. He was an incorrigible youth who had frequent run-ins with the law until he enrolled in the Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago. He was serving as an apprentice under John Malkovich there. His first film appearance was in a 1982 independent film, Against All Hope. Then he appeared in the movies War Games, Diner, and as Bump Bailey in The Natural before making his TV debut in St. Elsewhere. 
He then appeared in The Hitchhiker, Cagney and Lacey, among some shows. Madsen returned to the movies in The End of Innocence, The Doors, Thelma and Louise. Then he went on to other movies such as Straight Talk, Free Willy, and then Free Willy 2. He was married and divorced to Georgianne Lapierre, who is Cher's younger sister, then to Janine Bisagno, with who he has two sons, Christian and Max. And in 1996, he married Deanna Morgan Madsen. She has one son, Cody, from her previous marriage to Stray Cat singer Brian Setzer, and her and Madsen have two sons together, Calvin and Luke. And finally in the guest stars, we have Terry O'Quinn as Richard Kane, born July 15, 1957. Terry's an American actor. O'Quinn was born in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, but grew up in Newberry, a nearby city. He is one of 11 siblings and attended Central Michigan University and the University of Iowa, graduating from the latter institution. Um, I think he should have went to Iowa State. That's all I'm going to say. And why is that, Mark? Go Cyclones. <laughs> he made his acting debut in 1980s TV movie FDR, The Last Year, then his film debut in Heaven's Gate, followed by more roles in Without a Trace, All the Right Moves, Places in the Heart, Mischief, and Silver Bullet. He appeared in soap opera The Doctors, following, followed by guest roles in Moonlighting, L.A. Law, Jake and the Fat Man, Homicide, Life on the Street, before winning a regular role as Peter Watts in the sci-fi series Millennium and recurring roles as Admiral Thomas Boone on the series Jag. O'Quinn married his wife, Lori, in 1979, and they have two sons, Oliver and Hunter. He is also was recently on the reboot of Hawaii Five-0 that ended a couple years ago. He had a recurring role there as well. All right, and after that extensive list of guest stars, here are the co-stars for the episode. We have Garcelle Bouvier as Waitress, Pat Julian as the Assistant DA, Ben Rivera as Ramirez's Bodyguard, Donna Rosea as Kane's Secretary, and finishing up, we have Henry G. Sanders as Trick Baby. All right, we're going to go over that music in this episode now. First is Better Be Good to Me by Tina Turner, and that was in the opening sequence with Gene and Trooney shopping for clothes. You Want More by Etta James, and that's Gina at Ramirez's house. Today's a beginning, the instrumental version by Brian Ray, in which Trudy consoles Gina. Today's a beginning by Brian Ray, end sequence where Gina is consoled by Crockett. And now we're going to move on to the Goofs Facts location part of our show. Fun fact number one, the episode marks the debut of Tubbs's Coupe de Ville on the show, first seen when he and Crockett drive to Alvarado's house to question him and in the subsequent car chase. The car would remain Tubbs' personal mode of transport for the rest of the show's run. Next up is a goof. When Noogie is first seen singing, the movement of his lips does not match the lyrics he's singing. The same thing happens a little later when he gets back in his chair and starts singing again before Crockett interrupts him. Another goof is the position of Gina's hands on her revolver constantly changes as the camera switches angle while she's confronting Ramirez at the end of the episode. Most obviously regarding the position of her thumb, which alternates between being on the gun's hammer and off of it. All right, next up we have a location here. Southwest North River Drive and West Flagler Street in Miami that's the storage location where Bob Ricker is found. Another location is Club Ocho, 3600 Southwest 8th Street in Miami. And it is a club where Gina Trudy, Cinco, and Switek work. 
All right, now we're going to go over the trivia portion of this episode. In last episode, we asked what Clint Eastwood line did the Higgins brothers butcher and how did they screw it up? We had a correct answer from Tom with no location given. Thanks, Tom. What did that dude Clyde Eastman say in that movie, Floyd? (laughs) Go ahead. Ruin my day. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that brings us to this week's trivia question for this episode. Who did Switek impersonate at the Club Ocho? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at viceofmiamishow at gmail.com. We will air some of the answers. This is only for fun. New prizes. Right now we're coming to the discussion here, and we start with the opening sequence panning again, once again, the streets of Miami, particularly the city side, and then it also shows a nightclub. It shows Gene and Trudy shopping for lingerie, and all this is being done while Better Be Good to Me by Tina Turner is playing in the background. As this scene progresses, we have Crockett and Tubbs walking on the street, and they end up going to see... Noogie, a.k.a. the jewel of the jungle. And it's obvious to Crockentubs that he's flying high. All they want from the Noog is to know where all the action's at. But Noog says, you know, man, I'm on vacation. And he says, I ain't got nothing for you. You know, but then Crockett shows him a little bit of green. Suddenly, Noogie could get them all the information they need. And then that cues the opening credits. Uh, We're at OCB. The whole gang's there for a briefing with Castillo. Uh, Crockett and Tubbs said that Noogie has a line on some amphetamines. Crockett pretty much says it's just small time and they don't need any backup. Castillo wants Zito and Switek to back up Gina and Trudy doing, during their undercover hooker operation. Uh, he wants to make sure they're taken care of here. They finally got a pick of the major pimp and the drug dealer, Ramirez. Uh, Gina says they have not yet met Ramirez, but they're connected with Cinco who was Ramirez's henchman. Castillo said if they, Castillo said if Cinco or Ramirez sends them on a call, they have a bust. Zito Switek, I want you to back up Trudy and Gina. Finally got a picture on Ramirez, master pimp. Everything from streetwalkers to thousand dollar a night call girls. On call to visiting conventioneers and politicians to works. Where are you guys at? Streets, bottom rung. We connected with this uh, minor sleaze Cinco who works for Ramirez. So it's basically, let's get them while we could get them. Let's not putz around. Let's get them when we can. Because two hookers were killed because they started their own outcall service. Uh, And this is presumably by Ramirez. So then we flow into Gina and Trudy walking down the street at nighttime. You've got all the other hookers and Johns and all they're out there. It's a pretty seedy area. Trudy gets picked up by uh, Zito. Gina gets picked up by Switek. I think Switek was in the limo, wasn't he, Tim? Yes, correct. He was in the limo. Open it, open a door and things like that. Exactly. Getting his cheesy lines as if he doesn't know her. If this wasn't Gina, I don't think any hooker would even go with him, no matter how much money he had with his cheesy lines. Right. And he was also, he was saying in a very loud manner, just making sure that they were establishing Gina and Trudy as, as, as hookers. As hookers, right. Just making it obvious, or I guess you could say playing the part. 
but real cheesy on that. Well, then after that, the scene moves on to Cock and Tubbs, who appear to be in a stakeout at a storage facility. In there, then they move up to a gated area, you know, banging on the gate, and then Gent comes walking up to him and ask him, what's your name? And he says, my name is Bob Rickert. And as they're questioning him, what's going on, what's in, in uh, packages, things like that, and Bob's starting to get a little bit squirrely as he continues to get pressed by Crockett. And then he starts asking for a warrant. He lets Crockett and, and Tubbs in behind the gated area, and they start opening boxes to find dope. Bob refuses to talk about it, and then he starts looking for a deal. At that point, Crockett grabs an axe and starts busting up the joint, throws the shackles on Bob, as he as he starts to threaten with jail time, Bob just starts saying, "Hey, you know what, man? I'm just a storekeeper from for college buddies who drop and pick off pick up the goods here." Uh, then he tells them that the load is actually going to go to an, an Alvarado who lives in North Miami. Crockett tells him, "You know, just go along as normal. Let them make the pickup." And then he said, "You know, I'm releasing you without arresting you. You know, for now." And that's just basically now he turned him as a CI, hopefully a way into whoever this Alvarado is. Hey, pal. Miami Vice. Come here. What's your name? Rick. Bob Rickard. What's going on, Bob? Nothing. What's in the boxes? Um, just storing some stuff. What's your name? Bob Rickard. Mind we take a look? Well, there's nothing, uh... Uh, well, you should have locked that, Bob. Uh, do you have a warrant? Warrant? Well, we can have one here in about five minutes, pal, if you want to go that route. No, I didn't think so. Well, go ahead, but, uh, ain't what it looks like, uh... Well, well, well. Got a regular smorgasbord here, dope. Hey, pal? I think, and as we go along here... We're going to see uh, at least a theme in this episode where people start squealing once they get the pressure put onto them. Uh, we'll, we'll see that uh, coming up here. Yes. Everybody dimes everybody else up. Exactly. Exactly. So next up, we're at Club Ocho here. The scene begins. We see Trudy sitting at the par uh, with the potential John, which was Zito, when Cinco, the club owner, walks in. He's pretty mad that Trudy's not getting any action. He leans on Gina to start producing some money or else. And then Gina which is now going by the name of Paula, says she can make more money off the streets as a call girl. Cinco says that will happen when Ramirez thinks the time is right, kind of just pressures her just to start getting more tricks. Right, um, right, really. And then even even before this, we saw um, Trudy and I believe it was Switek or was it Zito? No, it was Switek. They had like some little tense situation. She she mentioned something like, I don't do that or I don't take photos or something like that. Again, just playing the part, you know, shunning her potential John, but you were going to say something to him? Right. It's just, he's looking for Gene and Trudy. You got to, you got to bring us some stuff from the streets first before we can uh, think we're going to move you up the chain and put you into the high price call girl working with elite clients. Want a date? I got a gun last month. The weirdo boss man's right there behind. Take it easy. So, I don't know, maybe... What? I'm a lady. I don't take pictures with nobodies. What is she doing? Why isn't she with him? Why don't you quit breathing down our backs? I don't like this guy. Turn around. 
always have to mess up the merchandise, don't you? You better lay some bread on me, baby. Oh, what? Because you're no good to me otherwise. You know, that's, right, that's they got to start producing it. some money. Yep. They got to start producing some money. You got to show us something yeah. first, and then we'll. It, and you know what it is? That's, that goes back to that episode. Give a little, take a little. Now we move on to Alvarado's house. And this is where, as you mentioned before, that Tubbs is, you know, his uh, Eldo. They drive up into that. They arrive at this Eldo's, at this Alvarado's house. And they got the dress, obviously, from uh, from Bob uh, Rickert. As they approach the front door, bam, there goes a shotgun blast through it. Uh, blast hole through it and almost them. Then you got a... Ford Bronco that busts out of the garage and then the chase is on. We later learn Alvarado starts shooting, you know, backwards as he's driving forwards at Crockett and Tubbs. And the chase ends when the Bronco runs into Hot Dog Cart. Basically, you know, it was one of them freeze Miami Vice moments. They bring Alvarado in. I think there could have been more, at least on this part. I mean, okay, you shoot him through the door and then there's a chase. Kind of blah, but I guess it just formed how bad this guy was. So now we're back at Club Ocho. Um, they're sitting, Gina and Trudy, they're sitting with their dates who are Zito and Switek. Cinco comes up and says to Gina that it's time, uh, time to go meet, uh, Ramirez. So Gina goes with him to meet Ramirez who greets her with a bottle of Cristal 75, uh, nasty stuff. Gina introduces herself. You know that for a fact, Mark, you've had Cristal 75? I had, no, not 75, it's just Cristal and it's not my cup of tea. (laughs) Like Crown Royal? Uh, <laughs> Something like, like uh, Malort. Anybody around Chicago, Malort. There we go. So Gina introduces herself as Paula, who came from uh, Chicago, uh, and she wants to get off the streets. She said she could bring in money from callouts with high rollers for as much as a thousand per throw. Ramirez starts putting the move on her and starting looking for personal favors. Gina slash Paula says it's strictly business and wants him to only offer her protection. Um, this is where she really starts forming her big hooker role, I guess. Uh, she gave a rundown of why she left. Was that? Not, no, I think that was later where she gave why she left to Chicago and all that. But anyways, she starts playing herself as this big, um, valuable. High price um, hooker. Desi- exactly. High priced and desired hooker where, you know, I'm this good. Get me off the street. It's time. Let's go. Sit mm. down. Let's go. Get out of here. Crystal 75. You have some business to talk over with me. Do I look like somebody who should be working on the streets? Yeah, why not? Ah. You're a very beautiful girl. What's your name? Paula. You want to get off the street? What do you got to offer me? Money. Now we move to uh, the office of lawyer Richard Kane. Crockett and Tubbs go there and Tubbs asks, what does he want? We're going to find out is what Crockett says. He knows this big time Shylock who is representing Eldorado. Crockett wants to know why such a big time suit is representing who appeared to them a punk. Because if you remember in their briefing with Castillo, they said this is just a small-time, low-level bust. You know, some info that they gleaned off of uh, Noogie. And then Dick tells them that Alvarado is into more than what they could handle. And basically what he called him there for is he's looking for the name of 
the CI or the criminal informant, in this case, Bob, for his client's defense, because he said, by law, they have to give that up. Uh, Crockett says there's no way, but Dick says that this CI info is the basis for the warrant, and he's going to get it. He's going to get this information at a pretrial motion. Crockett refuses, and he says, you know what? My informant's name is number 39. He's a punk. Worse. What I'm wondering is, why is a big-time lawyer like yourself handling his case? What do we step in? More than you can handle. (laughs) Your warrant is based on information from a confidential source. I'll need to know the identity of your informant for my client's defense. I'm doing you a favor by telling you now instead of in court. My informants are mine, pal, and they stay that way. No, we're not going to make it easy on you, dick. You're going to have to do your job. What happened out there this morning doesn't count for nothing, does it? I mean, your client could have shot me and my partner, and that'd be okay, too. Let's get out of here, man. My informant's name is 39. Yeah, I, th- I think they had some sort of already established relationship. That's why they got called in. This oil, uh, this lawyer was kind of kind of going to do them a favor rather than bring it up in court. That's what it, uh, that's what he played it out as. So it seems like they already had an established relationship. Yeah, there was no doubt about that because Tubbs didn't know him. Crockett did. There, that was definite in that scene. You know, then we get a real quick one of them little quick scenes, which was at the Rickard home where. Bob tells his wife that he's in trouble. He was arrested, but the cop let him go in exchange for working as a CI. But he says, he says, you know what, baby, we got, we need to get out of here. All right. Now we're back at OCB and the scene opens up with Crockett talking on a phone with, uh, who we later found out was Bob, the confidential informant there. And Crockett pretty much calms him down. Castillo walks by and says he needs to see Crockett and Tubbs in the office. So they go in there. Before that, Tubbs gives Crockett the rundown on Alvarado's rap sheets. Investigator for both murder, attempted murder, but nothing stuck, so they have zilch on him. Uh, Crockett tells Tubbs that uh, Bob's coming apart at the seams, and they're going to need to get him and hide him out of sight. So much for this being another low-level bust. Mm-hmm. Yep. Obviously, there's right here where we see that this this ain't no small-time, you know, two-key deal or whatever. This is bigger stuff. So... Crockett and Tubb, they brief Castillo on Alvarado, and Crockett says they're going nowhere with the case. Castillo wants to know how they got the info for the warrant. Um, Obviously, it came from uh, the Noog man and then Bob. Uh, Castillo tells uh, Crockett he's received information that Dick Kane subpoenaed everything about the case, and he further stated that the DA wants to prosecute Alvarado and is going to force Crockett and Tubbs to give up their confidential informant in Bob. Crockett gets pissed and says it's going to blow the case along with leaving Bob out on the limb there. Something that they've come this far, they're not going to give it up. Castillo cautions Sonny that he can be held in contempt of court if he doesn't give up the the informant in Bob. And he pretty much tells Sonny that it's your decision. And I think this is where his history as a lieutenant comes in play very well here. This is not my call. This is your call. But I think he was kind of keying into Sonny. You know what you got to do, not giving him up so you don't screw up the case, even though you'll go to jail. I don't know what your thoughts on that. Right. I mean, and I was just going to say, Sonny was adamant at Richard Kane's office. I'm not giving up my informants. And we'll find out in a couple of minutes here, you know, what it is that he says, you know, about that. Uh, But again, he was adamant there. He's adamant here. And his boss is going to go along with whatever Sonny's going to do. But he says, you know, if I remember right, he said, 
you got a decision to make. So, right. Castillo will back him up either way. I think that he kind of made that point made, uh, that point known without actually saying so. Three charges on this guy, Alvarado, the guy we busted. Before we finished our reports, he's out on bond. I don't know who it is, but somebody spent a lot of money to get this guy off the hook. Where'd you get the case? Informants. Well, you rang somebody's bell. Hard. Richard Kane has subpoenaed all your informant warrants and your affidavits. DA doesn't want to brush this one off. They want to prosecute. They will force you to name uh, your informant. We blow the case if we identify the informant. They'll attack the affidavit for warrants, plus I'll have a canary out on a limb. They get a judge who wants to push the issue. You can go to jail on a contempt citation. So, And then, we'll move. then we move on to the actual pretrial hearing where the judge says, you know, the warrant looks good, but Attorney Kane has a right to know the accuser for questioning. She has something to give the name, you know, and he refuses. Absolutely, he's not going to do that. You know, judge says she feels strongly on this issue and asks him again. He refuses. He's he's jailed on contempt for 30 days. And as they're getting ready to take him away, he, you know, he's shouting, I'm a police officer and this is part of my, the way I do my job. I cannot give, give up a name because no other confidential informant is going to ever trust me. I'll, you know, and basically he would become ineffective as an undercover officer. On motion of the defense, Mr. Kane has brought up an interesting point of law. His client has the right to know his accuser for purposes of questioning. So on that motion, I hold for the defense. Mr. Crockett, I order you to stand before this court and identify your informant. I'm sorry, Your Honor, I can't do that. You understand the consequences of your decision? Yes, Your Honor, I do. Mr. Crockett, I feel more strongly than other judges on this issue. I ask you again, who is your informant? I order you here and now to comply with this court. I'm sorry, Your Honor, but I cannot do that. Hold you in contempt of court and instruct the bailiff to take you into custody for 30 days or until this court is satisfied. Again, another short scene back at the uh, Rickard house. Bob uh, tells his wife that Crockett's in jail because he would not identify him uh, in court. I think, again, this was another wait week scene. They probably could have clipped it or maybe rolled it into some other type of scene with Ricker there. Sonny's in jail here. Shows him. It's another quick scene. Shows Sonny contemplating what's going on, his next move, you know, smoking a cigarette, wasting away in jail there. Right. As far as that, that Ricker home, it's it's really setting up what's going to happen down the line because now Bob is like, hey, this guy went to jail for me. And that gives him something to think about. And then it plays out later on. So now we move to the Ramirez home where Gina goes and she's actually invited there. And Ramirez says, you know, Cinco tells me that things are going well with our arrangement, you know, now you're ready to get moved up to working with the elite clientele. During this little uh, brief uh, business meeting, he invites Paula to a party at his house at nine o'clock at night where she's going to start meeting that said clientele and going to work. As she's leaving, Cinco arrives on the scene. He asks her, what the heck are you doing here? 
And she says, you know, I had just business with the boss. I think that was a good snub to Cinco. What are you doing here? I got business. None of your business. I've got it. Right, so. because we later learned that Cinco is the one who runs the prostitution and call girl operation for Ramirez. Happy that you could come. Have something to drink. No, thank you. Everything has been good since you made our arrangement. I hope you're pleased. I have no complaints. Cinco says you've been doing very well since you're with us. We should have got you out of that bar sooner. I'm sorry to have to say that. But now I plan to expose you to an elite clientele. You'll make lots of money, and you're to accompany me on certain special business trips. So why shouldn't I be looped into this? So after Gina leaves, Cinco uh, has a look of uncertainty on his face. He tells Ramirez uh, he's got problems. So they get to talking. They find a van and a possible wiretap. He doesn't know who's being watched. And then Ramirez says, there's wires all over around this town. It, well, you know, who, who's who's being watched? Why are they watching them? Is it the club or is it me by the cops or the feds? Ramirez says, when there's a wiretap, there's an informant. And he kind of gets pissed off at Cinco there. You know, this is why I'm paying you. This is why you're my guy. You're supposed to find this stuff out. You have zero answers for me. What are you doing? So Ramirez, Ramirez starts to ponder how Paula, who blew in town from Chicago a couple months ago, and suddenly there's a wiretap. He thinks his problem she had in Chicago was actually that she was someone's informant. So he tells Cinco to get on it and find out more about her. But in the very end, you could very quietly hear him say, get rid of her. I need to talk to you about some possible problems. What problem? It seems there's a van parked in Little Havana. We found some equipment. There may be a wiretap, somebody taking pictures. Wiretap who? There's wires stretched all over this town. On you? The club's what? I don't know. What is it? Cops, feds? What? I don't know, sir. What do I pay you for? To protect me! Not to sit there and say you don't know! I don't know! Where is a wiretap, there's an informant. How long has that girl Paula been around? A couple of months. Everything's been very smooth. Now there's more arrests, revenue drops off. She has to leave Chicago for some trouble. Suddenly a wiretap. I say she left Chicago because she was somebody's informant. Get rid of her. Yep, there you go. See, all plays and it comes into play. Now we find Gene and Trudy meeting at a restaurant. Trudy's already here. Gina walks in and you could tell Trudy's a little bit a myth because she's not really having any open lines of communication with Gina about stuff. Uh, and that's where Gina says, you know what? She's got, I got a hit because I've been invited to Ramirez's party to meet the elite clientele. And then as, as Castillo said, once they invite you in or get, send you out on a call, then we got a bust. You know, Trudy is concerned and was really adamant about that in this scene that Gene needs to go with backup, but Gina says, I got to go alone to to play it out. And as the scene ends, Trudy is still imploring her to take backup. Yeah, but I, this is where you see in way later episodes where Crockett's going to start crossing that line, but we'll get there when we get there. Uh, Trudy's kind of doing the same thing. She's going to 
She's just going to be a player, as Crackett's wife said in uh, earlier episodes. You're just another player. Right. Back at OCB, we see uh, Switek dressed up, and he's acting like um, the answer to the, our the, the answer to our trivia question. Exactly. Prepare, preparing for his act at Club Ocho, uh, Sonny triumphantly returns from jail to the chairs of OCB. He thinks he thanks Castillo for calling in markers to get him released. Castillo says that I don't use markers. I don't use markers. Uh, Crockett learns that Bob went to Kane's office and ID'd himself as the informant. And that's how Sonny got out. Crockett here is pissed off. You know, the whole case is blown here. And Castillo even says so. Case is blown because Kane got Bob not to testify at the pre-trial hearing. Alvarado walked and Crockett's really messed up here. He's really pissed. Well, must have pulled in some pretty heavy markers to get me out. Thanks. I don't use markers, Sonny. Rickard went into Kane's office and identified himself as your informant. While you were sitting, he, he called here. Heard about it in the newspaper. So now we're we're back at the Ramirez home, and Gina arrives for the party and finds nobody else is there. And Ramirez says, "I am the party." And he immediately puts the moves on Paula. So in essence, he's going to be her first elite clientele. You know, she blows him off. She rebuffs him on that. And he says, he asks her, you know what? Are you a hooker? Are you something else? And she says, you know, I am a hooker. And then goes up with him to his bedroom in order to protect her undercover identity. And everybody knows what happens next. Okay, it's nighttime now. And Crockett and Tub meet up with Noogie. And the petty thief Trick Baby, who's got info on Alvarado. Looks like they're going to kickstart, uh, jumpstart this case again. Sally Alvarado? Everybody on the streets knows Sally Alvarado. Nobody talk about it, man, because it's like talking about the Black Death. I mean, Alvarado's a bad dude. He's an enforcer for the man who runs everything in this town. Gambling, junk, girls. What am I even talking about to do? Who is this dude? Who are you talking about? Lupo Ramirez. He runs all the rackets in South Miami. Well, go ahead, tell him what you know about Ramirez. There's gonna be another body closing around soon. Go on, tell him what you know, man. You're dissing me. It's just in his organization. He's got figured for a snitch, so he's gonna have a hit. Probably tonight. You know where? No. Uh, Trick here says nobody talks about Alvarado because it's like talking about the Black Death. Uh, he tells Crockett and Tubbs that Alvarado is an enforcer for Ramirez. He also goes on to say that Ramirez is gonna have Paula whacked because he figures her to be a snitch slash informant. The hit's gonna be tonight, they find out. So... Crockett and Tubbs beat feet as they find out that Gina is the mark. And now we move on to Gina's place where we see Trudy banging on Gina's door and tells her, hey, let me in, let me in. You know, Gina doesn't, and she seems like she's walking around in a daze in outer space. And Trudy's saying, you know, you're not answering my calls. You know, it's like that thing you don't call, you don't write type of thing. Then this is where Trudy realizes that Gina slept with Ramirez, you know, so as not to blow her cover. It was not said in the scene, but it was definitely inferred, you know, as it as the scene closes, Gina is obviously beside herself that she had to compromise her 
ethics and morals as a police officer and do something like that. And next scene shows pretty much Crack and Tubbs speeding, speeding through the streets on the way to Gina's house here. Crack and Tubbs, they arrive shortly after Cinco arrives there. He's kind of sneaking around. Uh, Crockett goes in as well as Cinco and his shootout begins. Uh, Cinco's on the run and Trudy puts a couple of slugs into him. He falls falls down onto a table. Uh, Cinco, believing he's going to die here, starts asking for help. Save me. Don't let me die. Uh, I'll do anything you want type of thing. So he gives up Alvarado as Ramirez's right-hand man who handles the drug ops for Ramirez. Who do you work for? Alvarado and Ramirez. I can't say anything about Ramirez. He's too powerful. What about Alvarado? Ramirez is right-hand man. I handle the broads. He takes care of them. John. You take care of me. I'll do anything you want with Alvarado. Alvarado just beat a jump bust. What do you know about it? He's going to kill the guy who set him up. He knows who it is. The cops got him stashed, but he'll find him. Believe me. Come on. Come on, pal. I Cinco wants protection and tells Kraken Tubbs that Alvarado's going after Bob because he knows where the cops have him hidden away. Um, he says that Alvarado is down at the Club Ocho. And we fast forward here to the Club Ocho again. And the scene opens up as Swy Tech posing as a very unfunny comedian with with Zito as his haha man. Exactly. I guess he also refers to him as my agent or something. Something like that. Just like Ed McMahon was Johnny Carson's haha man. Obviously, crowd is not laughing at his at his uh, stand-up routine. And that's where we see Tubbs enters Club Ocho and he sits down with Al- Alvarado, who scoffs and says that the cops have nothing on him. And not so fast, Alvy. Cinco snitched on you. Crockett enters and then they arrest him without incident at the club. Here we go back. At, uh, we're back at Ramirez's home again. Um, pretty much OCB team uh, arrives to arrest Ramirez. I guess he was having lunch at his bar there or whatever. Uh, they tell him that Alvarado rolled on him, which, as we said, was a recurring theme in this episode here. Ramirez is like, yeah, no way. I don't think so. He resists and he picks up a knife. You know, come on. What are you going to do? Lunges at Gina and then she caps him. Those just the Girl Scouts? Miami Vice. You're under arrest. <laughs> Alvarado told us plenty. Get up. I'm not going no place. Put it down. Put it down. Ah, you won't shoot me. We meant so much to each other. <laughs> A few minutes later, Ramirez's body is removed from the house, and then you got the Sappy music playing. Sonny comes in. He and Jenna have this long stare, and then he finally consoles her. And end episode. All right, let's go over the ratings here, Tim. IMDb gives this episode a reprieve after the Abysmal Glades episode. They give this one an 8.0. Tim, I give this one a thumbs up myself. Great storylines, great characters by some good actors. Uh, Switek and Zito's goofiness, it comes into play quite nicely here. It fits into what they had to get done here. 
there was a good tense moment with uh, with Castillo laying it uh, laying it on the line with what Crockett had to do. As I said, obviously he didn't say it, but you know he would have his back whether uh, Crockett wanted to give him up or not give him up. Either way, Crockett being locked up, you know he got locked up by doing the right thing there. Gina crossed the line in the detective work, but she got her revenge, so to speak, in the end. I liked it. Crockett seemed pain, but ultimately he was there for good episode, Tim. Yep, it was. An, I also give it a thumbs up, Mark. You know, and what I found it was a much more complex storyline than the previous episode, Glades. You know, just when Crockett and Tubbs thought they had nailed Alvarado, the rug was pulled off from under him every step of the way, whether subpoenas or somebody's going in giving themselves up as the informant. I also did like that Sonny stuck by his principles of being a good unrecovered detective by not giving up his CI, you know, and Gina was placed in a compromising situation and did cross the line so as not to give up her cover. Obviously, it was a regrettable turn, but as you said, she did get her revenge, so to speak. This episode also showed that there is no honor among thieves as everybody rolled on the next guy in the interest of cutting a deal. Excellent episode. And now we've come to the part of the show where we hope to inspire or enlighten. We have officially named this Snurds Chalkboard of Wisdom. In both the world of Miami Vice and our current world at large, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere, through the show, and on our social media platforms, we would like to offer some parting thoughts. A simple quote, phrase, or words of encouragement, or a funny quip to you, our listeners, because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking to ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media. This week's quote is, and then it happens. One day you wake up and you're in this place where everything feels right, your heart is calm, your soul is lit. Your thoughts are positive. Your vision is clear. You're at peace. At peace with where you've been. At peace with what you've been through. And at peace with where you're headed. And with that, we'd like to bring this episode of the Vice of Miami podcast to a close. Tim and I greatly appreciate each and every one of you listening. We hope you enjoy what we have to offer in our shows. Please spread the word about us, comment, and rate us on your podcast platforms. We'll see you next time for Vice of Miami show number 12, where we discuss season one, episode 11, Little Prince. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami podcast, or email us at Vice of Miami show at gmail.com. Please rate us and comment on the episodes and spread the word about the show. On YouTube, press the like button and hit the subscribe bell. 